Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to episode 106 of Beyond the Rut, the weekly podcast about inspiring and equipping you to make your own path and live the life you've always dreamed of, Beyond the Rut. I'm one of your hosts, Jerry Dugan. Yes, that's me. And in a moment, we're going to be joined by Brandon Cunningham and a special guest. In fact, all of our guests are special. However, this one, uh, we're not going to try to fanboy out too much, but yeah, this this guy kind of is a very inspirational guy. It's Eric Giuliani. And if you've heard his name before, it's because Brandon has name dropped him probably once every episode for the last 10 to 15 episodes. Eric Giuliani has traveled the world for the past three years without flying in a plane. All of his transportation has been by ground or by sea, taking boats, cargo ships, expedition ships, cars, taxis, buses, trains, and then his own two feet. We're going to have him on in just a moment where he's going to share with us some of the insights from his journeys and some of the challenges he's faced, and then where is he going from here? So here we go, right now. All right, Brandon Cunningham. Mr. Brandon Cunningham, how are you? Esquire. Esquire. We're going to add that on your name Sure. Now? All right. Padding that resume. From now on. <laughs> what What is an Esquire, anyway? I never really understood. <laughs> I always wanted it to be like knighted or something. I think yeah. that'd be a cool one. There's though. a definition for it. Yeah. But I know lawyers use it, so it's probably not a good thing. <laughs> All right, so we're not, not here to steal. We're not here to to ponder on the term Esquire or why you want to put that on the end of your name. What we actually have is a guy who's accomplished something, set a goal, went out and did it. It's been three years, and here we are getting ready to speak with him at the end of this journey. I mean, it's not like he's crossing the finish line or anything right now. I mean, he's done it, and, <laughs> and he's, he's not dying. Back in, <laughs> yeah, he's still with us. And this is Eric Giuliani calling us from, I believe you said Miami Beach, Florida. Did I say that right? Yeah, guys. Thanks so much for having me back. I am officially back in the United States, and I'm here in Miami Beach, Florida. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, I was worried about the location. I, I got your name down. I'm like, Eric Giuliani. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, Giuliani's the hard part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got that, you're good. And for me, I'm like, Miami Beach? My, my, Miami? Miami? <laughs> That's in Florida, right? Uh, all right. Well, to warm up our newest listeners to you, because uh, they probably haven't heard the earlier episodes where we had you on with us about a year and some change ago, uh, I wanted to kind of open up with a little icebreaker and uh, kind of a little piece of advice from you, uh, if, if you're open for it. Yeah. I remember you guys threw me off on the icebreaker last time, so yeah. I'm going to be hopefully a little more prepared this time. I think that one was like travel tips to uh, – no, it was like <laughs> if you could go to any planet in the solar system, what would uh, it be? Yeah. So I remember that one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I wasn't exactly ready. It caught me off guard, so yeah. hopefully I'm good on this one. So, well, since you've been gone – oh, I like that song too, by the way. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you sing it while I ask. No, I'm kidding. Um, so – uh, Brandon kind of outed himself as the biggest Renee Zellweger fan uh, in podcasting. There we go. And uh, so ever since then, I've just been asking our, our guests, you know, something about Renee Zellweger, like how they're connected. But uh, for you specifically, I would say since you've been traveling the globe for three years, uh, taking only uh, boats, planes, trains, and buses, uh, what travel advice would you give Renee Zellweger? 
Oh, man, another tough question. I mean, you know, immediately right off the bat, I thought of, uh, you know, her role in Jerry Maguire. I thought you were going to ask me to quote the old You Complete Me line. So I think the only thing I could think of is, you know, for her to make sure she's got her cell phone with her so she can stay connected to whoever completes her. Because, you know, obviously this day and age, you know, travel wise, being out of the country, it's much, much easier to communicate with people. And my smartphone has been the best thing going travel-wise because I've been able to keep in touch with everybody along the way. And then obviously tonight, we're doing this podcast from different parts of the country, and it's just been so easy. So there you go. Awesome. And Renee, uh, Brandon's phone number is 361-867-5309. No, I'm kidding. No. It's like, what? 867-5309. I give that number out all the time at work and people write it down and, and then they realize, wait a sec. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> so Eric, you just came back three years uh, traveling the globe and like you were talking, your smartphone was really a great tool to have with you. Now, funny thing is, right before we started uh, recording, you had dropped your phone and almost lost it. So we got a big kick out of that. But uh, you're up and, and working well. So that was one of the things I was thinking. I follow you, you know, obviously on Twitter. You're on Instagram. You're all over the place. How did you manage your 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 cell phone? Because sometimes I have trouble here in town just keeping it charged and stuff uh, around the world with all those different uh, time zones and the different ways that it works. Yeah, it was definitely tricky. I mean, I only had Wi-Fi, so I didn't actually have a data plan and I didn't buy any sort of SIM cards, which a lot of people do when they go into a new country and it'll, you know, be able to use their phone and data when they're not connected to the Wi-Fi. So for me, I only was able to really use my phone when I was in the hotels because, of course, each hotel I was at had Wi-Fi. And then I was really using it in cafes and kind of restaurants along the way. But other than that, there was really no connection and no data to get me to use my phone. So it actually became a really tough thing at first, but then you get so used to it. And I, I remember, especially when I was in Antarctica, of all places, there's certainly no Wi-Fi. There's certainly no data there. And it was just so nice to be disconnected and to not be checking your phone and to connect with all the people on the ship where you have to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner with them. And, you know, people would normally be checking their phone. So for me, it was great when there wasn't Wi-Fi because that's, you know, for me trying to do creative things and, and trying to write the way that I was. You know, I can think clearly because I'm not checking the Instagram or the Twitter and Facebook every five minutes. So it was a little tricky to get used to at first. But once I was able to manage it and figure out, okay, I'll use it in the hotels and then I'll get from point A to point B with no Wi-Fi, no data. And, you know, that's a little bit of an adventure, too. And that's kind of where some of the fun stuff comes into play, where you don't know exactly where you're going. The GPS didn't always work (laughs) wherever I was. And so it provided a lot of challenges, but also was exciting at times, too. That's pretty cool. I, I never really thought about that because I rely on GPS to get, you know, across the street sometimes. So when you're thinking going to a country you've never been to and a region you've never been to and yeah, you had to rely on like maps and people and relationships and stuff. The old school way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it was tricky because, you know, I do the same thing even now that I'm back in the United States is I will look at my GPS to go across <laughs> the street. And I'm just thinking, wow, I don't know how I did that the last three years, but you just kind of fall back into those old routines pretty quick. So what was the longest distance you ever traveled at one particular time, like from point A to point B? Was was that maybe the cargo ship? Yeah, there's two. So I would say the cargo ship from Australia 
and it ended up in Oakland, California. So that was across the entire Pacific Ocean. So, of course, that was really the furthest in terms of nautical miles. And that took 30 days. So that was a full month on the cargo ship. In terms of crossing land, that would have been from Russia. I took the Trans-Siberian Railroad, and that was seven or eight days to Beijing, China. Now, I did stop in Siberia, um, and that was for like three days from Moscow uh, to Siberia. I stopped there, and then the last five days from Siberia uh, to Beijing. So that whole trip. That was on a train, and that was a really, really long stretch of land to have crossed. Wow. So how do you keep yourself interested, and and just what were you doing during the 30 days on the cargo ship? Well, because I was trying to write, and and if you go on my website, which everybody, it's just TravelTall.com, you can see that there's chapters. So I've been trying to write basically an ongoing book throughout you know, the three years. But obviously, when you're moving every week, you're so busy with doing photos and films and and all the other things, you kind of lose track sometimes of the writing. So in terms of the cargo ship, the best thing about it was that I had a month to do nothing but write. So I just treated it like a nine to five job. I'd get up, I'd start writing in the morning, I'd go, you know, have lunch at noon, come back and write until five or six o'clock. And then that was pretty much my days. And I was able to really catch up on my writing. So that was great in terms of, you know, being able to prioritize that after, you know, letting it fall by the wayside for a little bit. So I got caught up on some writing. And then really, other than that, you know, you've got your DVDs and things like that to to pass the time at night. (laughs) That's true. Now, when you traveled, you carried everything with you. You didn't you didn't have like a bunch of suitcases. You've got everything. You got to move (laughs) yourself, right? Yeah, I have nothing in storage. I had one bag, which I, you know, rolled along because it had wheels on it. And then I had one camera backpack that's the size of a normal backpack. So I had, you know, basically two things, which, you know, was everything I owned in this world, you know, was my jeans and T-shirts in the bag that I rolled along and then my camera and, and a couple lenses in the camera bag. And that was it. So what surprised you the most? Like, what did you think was probably going to happen? But totally threw you for a loop. You had no idea how to deal with it. <laughs> I thought the travel wasn't going to be so challenging. I, 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 go ahead. Um, I just didn't assume that it was going to be so rough on the roads with the buses and they break down so often. And then when I mentioned the Trans-Siberian Railroad, I didn't expect it to be so cold in the middle of wintertime. And obviously you think, well, how would you not think it would be so cold? But, you know, I was in a cabin where there was very little heat and I just didn't plan and prepare for those things mentally. So a lot of times the travel was overwhelming and it was difficult. And But it's also something you cannot mentally prepare for unless you're in it and on it and doing it. You know, I can plan for seasickness all I want in, in you know, crossing um, different parts of the ocean, but to actually be in that moment when you're dealing with seasickness, you can't address it until you're in it a lot of times. Right. What, um, like whenever you would get, I guess, did you get sick? Did you have any kind of medical issues at all? Obviously, not yeah, I mean, personal, there was but. a couple instances, you know, just like anybody over the course of three years, you're going to get sick, you're going to get run down, you're going to have the flu. I think my biggest issue was I had severe dehydration three times. Um, and that caused me to get kind of, you know, violently ill. And so unfortunately, that slowed me down. And when that happens over two or three times, 
it just starts to knock the wind out of your sails and it becomes really <laughs> difficult and it takes weeks to kind of get over and get back to normal. So I would just be really run down from the severe dehydration. Um, you know, I'm pretty fortunate that I didn't really deal with, you know, seasickness at all. Um, that's not really ever been an issue for me. So, you know, luckily I got around that um, and I didn't have too many issues eating food. I kind of stuck to the basic type of food and things that I would normally eat in America for the most part anyway. Um, so there was too many things other than just being really run down at times um you know the drake passage is the roughest ocean in the world to cross or roughest part of the ocean to cross which is in between argentina and antarctica and just about everybody on that ship got seasick and fortunately i was pretty okay for the most part so even during rough waters like the uh, the drake passage i was okay but you know it just comes and goes sometimes were there other people on that ship that were traveling like you, or was it mostly just people that were working on the ship? No, that was actually an expedition ship that was open to people to purchase a ticket. And so there was about 60 people, um, you know, that were tourists, I guess you could call them, or travelers. Um, and then there was about 20 to 25 crew members. So it was a small ship, and, you know, it's for, you know, tour purposes to get to Antarctica and then back. So how did you get on the cargo ship? Like, what's, what do you do to, to get a ticket on a cargo ship? <laughs> no, that's a great question. And, I, you know, people are always surprised by this because they think, oh, why don't you just go and hop on a cargo ship? And I'm like, I don't know where you would ever go and do that in 2016 or 17 <laughs> because with immigration rules and laws and customs in, in any country you go to, I'm sorry, but no company – in their right mind is going to let anybody jump on a cargo <laughs> ship and take it anywhere. It's just not going to happen anymore. Maybe five, 10 years ago it would, yeah. but it's tricky. You know, you have to actually purchase a ticket for the cargo ship. So I was able to find a broker who put me in touch with a German shipping company. And then that broker was able to organize the ticket and I paid them. And, you know, it was quite a process because you have to pass a medical physical showing that you'll be able to spend a month at sea. Should something happen to you, um, you have to get all kinds of vaccinations and things. And you have to, of course, pass all the immigration and customs paperwork. So um, it can be a little tricky to get on the cargo ship. But if you search online, you know, people can find them pretty easily. And um, I've also written a couple chapters about my experiences. So, um, you know, people can find that on my website as well. I've always thought that'd be a fascinating way to travel. There used to be a show on, I think it was one of the travel <laughs> channels or something. This family went. Yeah, I was just thinking about them. And I can't think of their names, but I know it was right before we met you that that, that show, I only saw a couple of episodes, but I always thought that'd be uh -huh. a great way to travel and, and cheaply, but also yeah. see something you would never see otherwise. Yeah, it was a short story. Well, it was, uh, let me say two things real quick, because it is interesting for about the first three days. <laughs> <laughs> and then by the fourth day, you're like realizing there's nowhere to go on the ship. <laughs> the crew is honestly not the most friendly crew to be around because they're on the ship for six, seven months at a time and there's really nothing to do. So <laughs> that wears out its welcome pretty quickly. And it's also not cheap. To be honest with you, it's twice the price of flying. Wow. And all told, I was on three cargo ships. And if you add it all up, I think it ended up being like 81 or two days um, on cargo ships. And, you know, by that last couple of days, I never, <laughs> never wanted to be <laughs> on one or even look at one again. Oh, I imagine. 
I know when I was in the yeah. Coast Guard, when I first got on the ship and it was 378 feet and I thought, wow, this is huge. And yeah, about three days, yeah. that thing gets down to about six feet. <laughs> you're like, okay. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It looks like such a huge ship and you're like, oh, this is going to be cool. And it's really not. You basically are <laughs> confined to your room, you know, the mess hall, you know, the dining area. And there was a little gym the size of maybe a small, tiny cubicle. And that was about oh, wow. it. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, <laughs> um, now, I remember when we first spoke that uh, something that you had shared with us was that as you were telling people you were going on this voyage, uh, that you heard a lot of folks tell you why they couldn't do what your dream was. And now that you've you've come to the end of that three-year journey, uh, what is it about that journey that's made the whole thing worth it? Like, what would you say or how would you sum up that this was worth it? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just such a big answer. The, you know, everything was worth it because I was really living from, you know, my center along the way. So every day was worth it, even though it was so challenging at times. You know, I learned so much about myself and my own character and my own courage through all of those obstacles and, and all of the things that had happened to me along the way. So all of that was worth it. And, you know, I always go back to the people I met. So many amazing people along the way, and that's what makes the difference to me. And that's the thing that I will always cherish the most about those three years is, you know, I learned a lot about myself, how dedicated I could be and how, you know, passionately I could pursue something. But then also to be able to mix in hundreds of hundreds of people from all around the world and meet people from 60 different countries and to have some of those people still be in my life to this day is, you know, the best thing I can say about it. Well, I think for me, that would be it too. You just, the people you meet in a coffee shop or, you know, on the boat, yeah. just the, the randomness of it can just be fascinating. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, that's been the blessing along the way. And that's what really led me to this, this three year journey around the world is when I traveled in the past, I met, um, you know, six or seven people specifically that really touched my life in different ways. And those people through my travels, you know, all kind of brought me a little a little life lesson. And then I harnessed those lessons and then I set out to do this. And it was because of those people that I had met the first time I really ever set out to travel, you know, that bridged the gap to to coming up with this dream and then actually following it through. So I guess and and and. I know my mom listens sometimes, but I know she's going to want me to ask this question. How mad at you is your mom <laughs> that you did it, but how glad is she that you're back? Yeah, I think you nailed it, right? That's, um, you know, they, my mom and my dad are, you know, obviously my two biggest supporters in the world. And um, obviously, I think they were really nervous and scared at times. There was a couple instances, especially in Africa, you know, where I had crossed through where um, a couple really brutal terrorist attacks had happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's when they were the most nervous. And then also they were nervous when I was at sea for those long times on the cargo ship. So um, I think they're pretty <laughs> excited to have me back, especially um, you know, I'm in Miami beach and they live in Port St. Lucie, which is about two hours away. So, awesome. um, I think they're really happy to have me back. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I would imagine that would be my mom. No, you can't do that. That's crazy. And then worry the whole time and be glad. <laughs> yeah. Back and, right. And I'm sure somebody's listening and thinking, okay, well, this is great. Is he some sort of 
Kennedy billionaire or something. How, how did you finance this whole thing? Cause to me, and, and you got to go back and listen to the first interview we did. Cause I know you laid, laid a little bit of groundwork for this, but talk a little bit about the day to day stuff of if somebody's listening and thinking, well, how could I do that to maybe just go one place and back? How, yep. how did you think about that financial side of it? Yeah, I mean, it is a long answer, but I want to give the long answer on purpose because I do want people to be able to realize that you don't need a lot of money. And, you know, I did this with relatively next to no money, to be very honest with you. So the year before I left to travel, I I learned a little bit about photography and I took a couple beginner courses and I came up with the idea, which was let me email some hotels at my first stop, which was Cape Town, South Africa. And let me see if these hotels will let me come and stay for free. And in exchange, I will do some photos of their hotel rooms, of their lobby, of their pool, of their restaurant. And I will also do a short film of their hotel in exchange for said room. So I went to bed one night and I had emailed, you know, before I went to bed, I had emailed eight hotels in Cape Town, just on a whim, not really sure if this would work. And the next morning I woke up and two or three hotels had said yes. And I literally could not believe it. I, <laughs> I was still working my old job, the job that I had hated and wanted to quit. And I knew at that moment, I really honestly can go back to that moment and just say, this was going to work because I knew if I could get hotels in Cape Town <laughs> that I could duplicate this all along the way. And so I went, honestly, for three years, every single stop along the way, I was able to get a free room for either one night, a week or five nights, whatever it would be. Every single place I went, and even the cruise to Antarctica, I was able to barter my way onto that ship for free in exchange for a cabin, which would normally cost you $10,000. And wow. so while I didn't set out to make money at the beginning, I just set out to break even. And so this plan really helped me break even because hotels would not only have me come and stay for the five nights or the four nights or whatever, but a lot of them would also include all the meals. And so all I was having to pay at that point was my transportation. Well, in Africa and in Europe and really anywhere in Asia or even Australia, the bus tickets are fairly inexpensive. So I had enough savings, not a lot of savings, but I had enough savings to pay for those small fares of the buses or the trains or whatever it might be. And then eventually, as the years went on, I was able to build up a following on social media. I was able to get a couple sponsors that would pay me money each month in order to use their product. And then I was also able to generate some revenue through my website, through advertising and, you know, ads and things like that as well. So at one point I was making, you know, a not a lot of money, but more than enough to make a profit. And then some months that profit would go away and I would just break even. But ultimately, um, you know, I was able to get around the world and spend far less than anybody uh, than I even ever could have dreamt of. And I came back with most of my savings intact that I had initially planned to spend doing this travel. So I was... I, you know, I was fortunate, but I also worked incredibly hard with every hotel I partnered with, which was over 300 hotels along the way. You know, I tried to improve and I tried to be a better photographer every single day. And ultimately, I started with hostels in Cape Town and I ended up working with five star hotels, you know, by the time I was halfway through Africa and even in South America and Australia. So it just goes to show that if you really, 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 truly want something 
and you don't give up and you just kind of continue to pursue whatever that is against the obstacles, you know, you will catch a couple breaks along the way, but it will come from your hard work. That's so great. I'm, I'm glad you put it that way because people listening can easily say, well, you know, Eric just went around the world, but it wasn't really that because not only were you not a photographer when this whole thing started, but you became one and then you, you, you really worked on your craft the whole time. You didn't just, Hey, I'll take a couple of pictures of the room and maybe the lobby stand out in front of the hotel kind of stuff. You really worked hard at this. You put, this was your full-time job for three years was getting around the world. And you did it in a way that not only made you some money, but it also essentially financed your trip. And now you have an opportunity to launch this into something further or pretty much do anything. But you didn't even own a camera, what, a year right. before you left? Yeah. Yeah. And I always go back to, you know, the title of one of my favorite books, which is, you know, Excuses Be Gone, right? I didn't even own a camera. And I always tell the story. I went to Photography 101 course and I went all the way through the six weeks of the course. <laughs> And I was the only person in the course that didn't own a camera. I used my cell phone for all the homework assignments, you know. So that. it doesn't matter what you have. You know, you've got to start at the beginning and that's okay and it's worth it. And, you know, to be honest with you, when you asked that question earlier, why was this worth it? It was so worth it because I started with nothing. I started with no <laughs> camera, no experience, no idea how to travel around the world. But I also, you know built that up over, uh, you know, along the way. And that was really one of the most rewarding aspects as well. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use CapShow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long form content like podcast episodes or YouTube videos into CapShow and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. CapShow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash CapShow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Yeah, because it's almost like you went to school, like like hardcore school for three years and, and mastered your craft. I know you probably have more to go and, and more to improve and all of that kind of thing, but it's really the journey. And sometimes we think, well, I'm going to start here and then I'm going to finish in three years. And we look more to the end rather than the mm -hmm. journey. Yeah, I was really about the constant improvement. And I think if you ask any of the hotels that I did barter with, um, you know, they would probably describe me as intense because <laughs> when I was there to do the photos, I literally wanted to do the best photos humanly possible for them and also for myself because I wanted to improve. I wanted to get better, but I also felt the obligation that if they're going to give me a room that's worth a thousand dollars for the week, I want to make sure that I exceed that value in what I'm doing now. Did I do it every single time? Did I always exceed the value? I don't know. I don't know if I have the answer to that, but I would like to think that I was close or I did it every single time. Um, and I think the people that I worked with saw that in me and saw that I was trying and I was trying to squeeze every ounce of creativity and effort out of myself for them, for their benefit as well. Now, did any of these hotels ever come back at the end of the week or weekend or the few days and give you a bill for your stay? 
No, no, that's awesome. That's you know that I well, first of all, if that would have if that would have happened, I would not have been okay with it because yeah. the agreement going into things, you know, which we had organized yeah. through email was, you know, for just a, a barter. The thing I will say though is that I did give them a bill a couple times, which we had also agreed upon mm-hmm. because there was a, there was times, especially in Australia, when. Uh, and in some of the the more affluent countries, when I felt like not only could I stay for free, but let me see if they'll pay me two hundred bucks or three hundred no bucks way. on top of letting me stay for free. <laughs> and so there were times in I'd say maybe six or seven countries along the way where I was also doing that, um, which was awesome because then I was getting to stay for free and a couple hundred bucks for the photography. So it really was that was like the best part of my professional photography career yeah. was to stay. And then get a little paycheck at the end of it. And see, the, the thing I was going for was that affirmation for you that you did bring value for these hotels and hostels mm-hmm. because they didn't come back and say, you know what? You totally sucked. Here's a bill. Yeah. <laughs> like, thanks. we want our yeah. money back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. So that, that was always a good thing, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that I had never gotten a bill in the mail. I love your, I love your approach though, to ask them for money because it's like you brought value to the table. And I tell people that all the time, don't go into it thinking you don't, you're not worth it. You're not, you're not able to bring value to the table because you are. And if you ask for a dollar, they'll give you a dollar. But if you really feel like it, you've done the work, ask for more. You're exactly right. And then, you know, that that was definitely, you know, a little mental hump that I had to get over, you know, because I had been working in exchange for just the free room. And then I was thinking, wait a second, my work is (laughs) worth more than what I'm getting in return. While I am so grateful that the hotel is willing to let me stay for free. I'm actually now I worked my way after a year and a half of doing this to a point where I think my work is worth more than just the room and I deserve a paycheck. And so, you know, I put that affirmation out there and then, you know, it came true right pretty much right after I started asking for hotels for money. And it went back to when I started in Singapore, actually, was the first hotel that, (laughs) um, you know, had paid me as well as let me stay for free. That's a great uh, distinguishing uh, point to the whole trip, too, and, and really anybody's career. I've always said the amount of money you make in life is completely up to you. You know, Don't wait for yeah. your boss yeah. or your neighbor or somebody to say, here, you're worth six figures or whatever. You go make that happen. And you yeah, really you got to go that. take it. You got to go take it. Exactly. And that, that became my mentality for sure. That's really why there's minimum wage. It's like legally, I'm not allowed to pay you any less. You want to force people to pay you more than, than you're even asking for because yeah. they see that value. But we can't skip over the point that you made about you did the work. You showed up. You were intense. You, you mm-hmm. had a lot of honor and, you know, dedication to what you were doing because as, especially photographers, any artists like that, it's like the only thing you really have is your name. And, and so you got to do a good and job. And you know what too? And photography is a really hard thing to put a value on. You know, it's not, you know, art in general is, is a hard thing to evaluate, you know, financially. So yeah, I did have some struggles wondering, you know, what my, my work would be worth as well. So it was definitely some challenges there early going. So what's next? Now you're in a boring old you know, mine on the beach and with, with a one-year lease. Yeah. <laughs> got, got a whole year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, I'm back in Miami beach and, um, you know, I've got currently up on my website, there's 66 chapters and, um, that takes, 
takes me up to about a, a year ago. And so I've got about 20 more chapters that I've written that I'm still, you know, kind of putting some finishing touches on. So I want to get those 20 chapters up on my website, which would then complete the around the world story now that I've obviously finished. So once those chapters are up on the website, I'll have about, I don't know, probably 80 or 90 chapters and then I kind of want to take a really big step back and I want to look at all the chapters and all the information that I've accumulated in all the stories I've written and see if there's a possibility for me to go back and write a real book. And then hopefully, you know, hopefully there is and then hopefully possibly publish that. Um, and in the meantime, I think, you know, uh, I was really fortunate that I didn't have to dip into my savings as much as I thought I would have to at the beginning and say, you're going to travel the world just like everybody else thinks is what I thought. It's going to take a lot of money, thousands of dollars. Yeah. But fortunately, I've got enough of a cushion right now where I can be a little bit comfortable and I don't have to go out and necessarily hustle like I have been the past three years. Um, but with that said, I'd like to pick up maybe some, you know, photography jobs, um, kind of close by and then maybe do a little bit of traveling over the next year, but nothing to the extent that I have been doing, uh, cause I am definitely a little bit traveled out and I just want to be in one place for a little while. I would imagine. So you think you'll take a plane this next time? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Planes are totally back in the equation and I am not trying to avoid them any longer. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking first class. I want to sit at the front of the plane. I'm just going to relax. Exactly. Exactly. Well, when I flew back, it was great because, uh, you know, I'm six ten, so obviously I'm really tall and, um, you know, checking into the airport, I kind of forgot the whole routine of going through the airport and everything. But um, fortunately, they saw how tall I was and immediately moved me to the exit row, which is, you know, the biggest seat on the plane for the most part. So yeah. <laughs> luckily, uh, the airplanes have exit rows, which buses don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know my oldest son, whenever he heard this and I was showing him pictures, he's six six and about 300 pounds. So he's like, I understand not wanting to fly. He's flown twice. He hated it terribly both yeah. times because of his yeah. size. Now, speaking of sons, a uh, little confession on my end. Uh, my son hates you, by the way, Eric. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Okay. And I'll tell you why. As a so, fan club okay. and a hater club. So my, my son, he's actually taken a liking to photography. And, of course, naturally, he's going to ask dad for a camera. And he wants like a full-on DSLR, you know, the works kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, No. And he's like, come on, dad, you, you said you'll support my passion. This is the thing I want to get into. And I said, well, you know what? Eric Giuliani did it with an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And that was his start. And he goes, who's Eric Giuliani? I was like, I'll, I'll email you the link to the episode. And he's <laughs> oh, like, oh my gosh. And he just shook his head. He's like, mom, mom. And I was like, no, you got to listen to this. And then I, I told the story of Eric Giuliani and, and how you, you went to class with, you know, just the iPhone. And then you, once you got the skills, you upgraded the, the equipment. And he looked yeah. at mom like, mom, are we really doing this? And <laughs> so, uh, the last he's heard is mom and I will talk about it. But, uh, I, I did tell him the story That's of great. how you, you did pay for your room and board around the world by bartering services. And so I already put that bug in his ear too. And, you know, for those listening, I'm sorry, we kind of knew about this, this technique or this yeah. trick or this hack that Eric has been using. But, you know, because that's how he was getting around the, the world, we really couldn't share it. But now that he's home, he's like, hey, here you guys go. You can. <laughs> yeah. And let me just say one thing too, also to your son, I think like the, the most valuable thing I learned about having to use the iPhone was it because you are not using the best technology, right? Because you don't have access to the best camera. 
it forced me when I use the iPhone to enhance my creative eye because I don't have the best equipment. I'm going to go and try to take the best of picture with inferior equipment. And I'm going to do that because I'm going to look at things a little bit different than everybody else. And so while it's a little bit harder to take a better picture, you know, with an iPhone, especially when I, this was, you know, four years ago. So the quality wasn't it exactly what it is today. Using the iPhone forced me to be so much more creative. And a lot of times, you know, you would have to do a silhouette or something to block the sun out because the sun will ruin the photo on the iPhone. So there's a lot of advantages to starting with inferior equipment because then you learn that creative side. And then when you buy the camera, you don't have to do the creative thinking as much you just have to kind of learn the buttons and the aperture and the shutter speed and all that but if you've got that background of okay here's something let me look at it this way let me see what looks creative for this shot then when you have the actual camera it becomes so much easier so i actually would encourage somebody to go out and do what i did which was to try to take one creative photo every single day for a year which meant getting up at sunrise it meant walking to the beach it meant walking down a different street every day so the more you practice with bad equipment the better you're going to become that's such a good lesson. And I think we skip that sometimes to think it's kind of like the way you traveled is the only way yeah. I can get there is first class. But really, whenever you earn it the way you have to, the way maybe exactly. your grandparents did, you know, they didn't have the best yeah. tools, so they did the best they could. You learn how to do it better. You know, if I found a shortcut, I didn't take it purposely for that reason, because awesome. I knew going into this that I was going to need to learn the lessons. And I knew that sometimes those lessons were going to be taught to me the hard way. <laughs> but you also know, and this is from travel that I've learned is that, you know, when you're flat on your back and when things are the hardest and the most annoying and the most stressful, that's where the most growth is. And so why am I I don't even want to say I'm a good photographer, but let's say I'm a good photographer. Why am I a good photographer? Is because I started with just the idea and that really crappy iPhone, and I didn't get embarrassed. I didn't get upset. I just put the work in every single morning at sunrise, and boom, that was so crucial because it gave me the confidence and the courage to then go out and pursue the hotels, and all of that stuff falls in line. But had I skipped a step, guess what? It wouldn't have worked out the same way. Exactly. Too many times we're trying to skip the journey part of it. And, and you've yep. got to, you've got to do those. And like Michael Jordan always said, you know, nobody's there at the gym at four o'clock in the morning when I am. Nobody's there at 10, 11 o'clock at night when I am because they only see the game, but you got to prepare outside of the game with less than what you need in the game. And it makes yep. you stronger. And I think it was Tony Robbins that said, people get rewarded in public for what they do in private. And nobody saw all of those hours <laughs> at sunrise at the beach trying to take a thousand photos every single morning before I went and worked two jobs that I didn't like. And nobody was there with me. Nobody saw that. <laughs> nobody set my alarm and nobody got me up in the morning with breakfast and scrambled eggs. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like I had to do it myself. And that's why it was so worth it. Especially going through most of that year where nobody cares that you're doing it either. Nobody clapped for you. Nobody encouraged you and said, hey, for I'll sure. buy one of them or maybe someday you'll be great at this. 90% of it, I would imagine you did and nobody knew or cared what you were doing. That's so true. And that's one of the things, you know, you have to see it for yourself. And, I, you know, I really 
worked on visualizing and and different kind of meditations during that time and even still to this day where you know i'm just picturing what i want but i'm also practicing what i want and it's okay if nobody's there you know luckily <laughs> and i was really fortunate to build a following online you know through instagram and twitter and honestly that encouragement as i was traveling was so meaningful but you're right at the beginning nobody's there and nobody cares and <laughs> you know what that's when you figure out if this is your passion or it isn't and you know for me, I was really fortunate that that's what I was passionate about. And, you know, I was able to pursue it enough that, you know, it got me to where I wanted to get to. So what has kind of surprised you about some of the people that are following? Because I know you have a big following on Twitter and Instagram, but what has surprised you about what somebody has maybe said negative or they kind of they've maybe washed out. So they want you to, or, you know, there's always somebody out there that's got to be negative about something. Yeah. You know, I really, to be totally honest, I have not come across any negativity. I think there was one guy I had to block on Instagram because he was a little bit too negative and he was, he was really critical of, um, some of the stories I had written on my website, which nobody else kind of took that view or even that perspective of what I was writing. So I, I just think it was an anomaly. And, you know, I was really fortunate that everybody was positive. And, you know, the biggest thing, you know, for me is when, when you know, if, if I post a picture and a thousand people like it, I always think of that as like, wow, that's like a thousand, you know, confirmations that I'm kind of on the right track. And, um, you know, people really had a lot of nice things to say, a lot of support. And the thing that touched me the most was when I was going through some really rough parts where it was dangerous, um, people had said they prayed for me. And I always take this as like the ultimate compliment because for someone that I've never met in person to pray to whatever God they believe to for me and my safety Wow, you know that'll that'll make me tear up if I talk about it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, like honestly, what can be better than that? You know, that's yeah. better than any sort of money. That's better than any sort of anything where someone takes that special time when they're talking to their God and says, "Hey, take care of Travel Tall or Eric Giuliani as he journeys around the world." Like that, that honestly blew my mind and was one of the not, if not the most amazing thing that happened along the whole way. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, to think that, you know, they were that invested in you and wanted yeah. to just see you succeed. Yeah. I think part of that, too, is the way you kind of present yourself and the way you've done this whole journey is it. it's almost like a gift to the rest of us that were left behind that you're kind of sharing this all with us. But you never, uh, through everything that I've read about you and, and us talking and everything else, it's never been about you. It's always been about where you're going and the people you're meeting and you just trying to document that kind of thing. Thanks. And, and, you know, it's really about the people that have or want to do something more. You know, I always just say, you know, I, I'm trying to do an extraordinary thing, which is travel around the world without an airplane in an ordinary way. And I say that because like everybody has a really big dream, you know, but to tap into it and then to pursue it, I know how difficult that is, <laughs> but I also know how rewarding that is. And so I always really want to encourage other people to figure out and to find what their dream is and then to follow it because I've gotten so much out of doing it myself. So I, I really want to be able to be, you know, 
if you read the stories or you watch some of the episodes on my website, I want it to be relatable because I'm just like everybody else. I have the same fears, <laughs> the same feelings. I went through heartbreak once or twice and, um, you know, throughout those three years. And, and those were really tough times. And I think if, you know, you just talk about them and you be open and honest and, you know, I think the thing with Instagram is people kind of get fooled. You know, if you look at a lot of the travel bloggers and all the people out there posting the great pictures, you know, I, I don't want to say they're pretending that their life is great because their life might be great, but I went around the world and saw the whole world and it wasn't always great. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the point of it is that it's okay if it's not always great. Um, and so I just really wanted to try to do it also in a way that would inspire people um, that have a similar dream or, or maybe even a different dream just to know that they can pursue it. But it is going to be hard work and ultimately it will become worth it. That's the best part is to just know, yeah, there were times when you want to quit. And there's times when it's hard, but it's all worth it when you get to the end. Yeah, there was a, there was a handful of times where I definitely didn't want to keep going. And, you know, <laughs> I was just writing a chapter today and I'm and, and one of the lines I wrote was, you know, there were plenty of reasons and and perfectly validated reasons to quit, you know, but I'm so glad that I didn't and that I kept going and that I made it to the finish line. That's what's cool about it because you did it for you. You didn't do it for somebody else. So quitting would have been really cheating yourself. No, nobody would have ever really known if you'd have just jumped on a plane and flown home, you know, and, and like you said, you could have still been posting pictures and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. you would have cheated yourself. Not Yeah. I would have never been it. able to look at myself in the mirror again, had I quit or taken a flight, I just would have never been able to do it. <laughs> so I, you know, even though I did want to quit at times, I knew I, I, I can honestly say from the moment I left, I knew nothing was going to stop me. And I, and I knew that the whole way. It just was inside me. I can't even really explain it, but it was just always there. That's what uh, we really wanted you to have on, have you on the show because you're kind of the ideal beyond the rudder because you knew how bad it would hurt, that regret would hurt more than whatever you were going through at the time because you just were not going to cheat yourself that way. And you just went out there and did it. Exactly. No matter what, you know, um, I was just going to make it. I was just going to scratch and claw and just find a way no matter what it took. I mean, even there would be, you know, times where I didn't have a hotel um, lined up for the next city, which meant I was leaving in two nights to go to the next place. So, you know, I don't want to say I was homeless, but there was many weeks where obviously I didn't have a home and I didn't know where I was going to stay. And I always made it work at the last minute. Somehow, <laughs> some way, I always was able to dig down deep enough, you know, to find that free hotel room for the, the night or two nights or three nights or the week to keep my dream alive. And, you know, I was just able to just keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And ultimately, you know, it did pay off. Now I'm wondering, one of my favorite TV shows is The Amazing Race. And I've been looking for a partner and I got a feeling you might be like a great ringer to bring on board. <laughs> I think, honestly, I, I'm not saying this with the ego, but I might have to be the best person to ever go on that show. Like, <laughs> I, think so. I can't think of anyone. I don't know if anyone's ever gone around the world basically only using public transportation and across all seven continents. Like, yeah. I, if, and if I didn't, if I went on that show and didn't win, I don't think I could ever show my face in public again. So. <laughs> Like, that guy's a fraud. Come on. Yeah, exactly. But I would have to think I'd have a pretty darn good shot of winning that show, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, but not until next year, right? You don't want to go, like, next week or anything? 
Ooh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I might need a, a couple months off, to be honest with you. But I mean, if, if you said I had to go on next week and it was the only time they'd ever take me, I'd I guess I'd probably have to do it. <laughs> it's cool. I, I, gotta, I need the time to convince Olivia to that, that it's cool for me to go on this. <laughs> She'll probably let you go, Derek. Yeah, he, yeah. he can take well, care of it. Good luck with that. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so what's the – I know you said that you're going to hang around there for a while and you're going to uh, work out some things with the book. But what's your next big goal? What's your next big thing you want to knock down? I mean, ultimately, it would be to write a book, you know, and that seems like a – a monumental task to me at this point. And that's another thing that I've always said to people, you know, and I've written this in my stories is that I was, you know, graduating high school with below a 2.0 grade point average. I scored, you know, really poorly on the SATs and I did not do well in any of my English classes. And so, you know, for me to want to, you know, write a book is a monumental task, I think, for anyone. And then obviously, let alone someone that didn't really do well in school. So, um, you know, fortunately, I was able to go to college and I, you know, did pretty well there. But I only got into college because I, you know, played basketball, to be perfectly honest with you. So I got a basketball scholarship. So, you know, you got a basketball. Yeah. Well, when you're 10, you know, you get (laughs) some opportunities. Can you walk? Okay. But um, that seems like the biggest thing for me right now. So I'm just trying to focus all of my energy on um, on writing and improving. And then, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I'll work as hard on that as I did on the travel itself. And then, you know, I think the sky could be the limit. That's awesome. I, I I can't wait to see what comes. And I know the book's coming, but uh, we definitely want you back on whenever the book gets a little closer yeah. to launch or, or oh, for yeah. sure. Absolutely. come up with the plan. But uh, I would and highly I'll let encourage. You know. I'll, I'll let you know if Olivia gives me the okay for The Amazing Race. <laughs> And then yeah. we'll see what yeah, your schedule well, is like. Hey, we'll, uh, we'll send in our, in our uh, audition tape and we're good to go. Yeah, there, there you go. go. And, and I would highly <laughs> recommend people go back and listen to that first episode because you get a lot of that background. I, I, I just want to emphasize that, you know, Eric was not skilled for this. He was not trained for this. He was not somehow special or anything. He just worked his butt off and, and took it for himself. Nobody gave him permission. Nobody, you know, encouraged him to go make this happen. He created it himself. I know he didn't do it alone because he had a lot of people encouraging him along the way. But the dream, the original part of the dream was just self, you know, he wanted to do it for himself. So if you're thinking, but I can't do that, his story is proof that you're wrong. You can do it if you just put in the work for it. Absolutely. Couldn't echo those thoughts any better. Um and it's always been a pleasure to come on and talk to you guys. And I appreciate you having me back tonight. It's always um, a lot of fun and I love the questions. Um, so I'd love to come back on in the future for sure. Absolutely. Maybe we'll get you down here in person sometime and get you some breakfast tacos and Heck yeah. show, show you <laughs> South Texas. Too. Sounds good. Sounds good. Now we're going to have the link for Eric's website in our show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 106. There you'll find the link to traveltall.com. But now that I just said the URL, I guess you could go straight there. However, we're going to link some of the books he's mentioned. We're going to link a couple of specific stories as well as the past interviews we've done with him. That way you can go straight there. And we'll also even include a link so you can email us. You can email him. You can go to his Instagram. All that at beyondtherut.com slash 106. Now, the best way you can support our show is to share it with a friend, a family member, a coworker, or that neighbor across the street. You know the one. There's one, you just listened to this episode and you thought, you know what, I want this guy out of my neighborhood, so I want him to hear this, get inspired, and get out of here. Well, hopefully you're not thinking that, but share us. 
and that's the best way you can support us. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so shoot us an email, info at beyondtherut.com, or call Brandon, 361-867-5309. And <laughs> uh, I'm laughing at my own jokes. It's horrible. In any case, until we hear from you or you hear from us in a week, go live life beyond the rut. I can picture this is the episode where my coworker is going to be afraid that I'm taking on the torch. Uh, Eric Giuliani. <laughs> travel short. <laughs> travel <you> short. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Taking nothing but airplanes yeah. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You just do the opposite. You're in the bizarro. Yeah. Like a luxury private time. jet everywhere. <laughs> you know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Capshow team today and join me inside that community.